Thanks for joining me for Thursday Theology, Two-Age Sojourner Podcast, a podcast that explores what it means to be a Christian in light of the overlap of the ages. Thursday Theology, right, it's been a whole week. You've, uh, we've been talking about theology all the way through, but the reality is now we get to focus it in on some particular points of Reformed theology, which I'm excited about. I'm a theology geek, and uh, I can talk about this all day. And joining me is my brother, uh, and uh, you know him at this point. Um, and uh, we have begun to introduce him on Wednesdays, but we will continue to do that over Wednesdays and try and stay focused with our 10 minutes on um, the point of theology in this session. So say what's up. Hey, hey, how's it going? Good, good, good. And hopefully, um, I'm really liking the way that these recordings are working, and it seems to be doing it even with our terrible Wi-Fi in uh, Wainui. But um, hopefully, this keeps working well, and we'll have a way to just bring you in on these conversations. Um, all right. So, Andrea, we're, we're both Covenant Theology fans. And, yep. um, and I, one of the things I mentioned in the previous podcast, or the previous episode, at least, was um, that... I am excited. I'm very like in the next, I think it's next weekend. I'm going to head over to um, Auckland to uh, do this uh, covenant theology thing there with a bunch of uni students. I, I just love the opportunity to talk, talk about covenant theology. I think it's like one of the most exciting points for me in, in yeah. theology. It's just sort of taken me uh, from the, from the moment I kind of got my head around it. And um, I know you feel the same way. And uh, this is, it's, it's a huge part of Reformed theology. It's like Reformed theology doesn't end with Calvinism. Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. And there is, there is simply no more helpful thing to, to understand how the Bible fits together as a whole than covenant theology. Yeah. Like you yeah. understand how the covenants fit together is the key to understanding how, how to apply the Old Testament to yourself. Right, and you don't yeah. have to psych yourself up with some emotional psych um, to, to see Jesus at the center of it all. I remember that was a big frustration for me. You know, we all talk about seeing Jesus as the center of scripture and, you know, seeing his glory and, and you kind of conjure this emotional hype. But with covenant theology, you, you just have to understand and, and through your understanding comes the perception of who Jesus is that the Bible itself informs which overwhelms yeah. you, you know, and it, it causes you to want to be a devoted follower of Jesus. That's right. Yeah. Totally. And it just gives you such a natural way to see Jesus in the old Testament as well. For sure. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to, you know, it's sometimes that typology gets strained and uh, yeah. you, you need to have a, a more robust system. So as we start thinking about the topic, I think even before you get onto the eternal covenant or covenant of works or covenant of grace, and probably it's a good idea to, to focus in on one of those things at a time. And we'll do that in future episodes. Uh, but to even start out with the, the taxonomy, I suppose you could say, or the nomenclature or the nomenclature depending on uh, where you're from and how you pronounce that um, yeah uh I, you know often this is a stickler point and uh, and often it is the the point of debate that that comes in with regard to covenant theology people talk past each other or semantics ends up um killing what yeah. could be a good form of unity uh you have a lot of different uh, examples or at least uh, expressions for what took place before the fall. Was that the Edenic covenant? Was it a covenant of works? Yeah. Was it a covenant of peace? Was it a garden covenant? You know, there are a whole bunch of different things. And sometimes there's a theological agenda behind that. Um, but let's talk a little bit about um, whether it's appropriate to call 
or to see, let, let, let's put, let's frame it in this way. Um, it, it, was there any grace before the fall? Ah, see, see what you've done there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go for it. Well, yeah. I mean, to answer that, you first have to define grace though, don't you? Ah, great. Great point. Exactly. And this is, I think, the, the vital step that people just kind of move past in that uh, at some level, it's true that there is a disagreement. Like some people might be disagreeing whether there was grace before the fall or not. But a lot of, a lot of it stems from just not defining what we mean by grace. And there is yeah. a broad semantic range uh, that we can include there. There could be, um, you know, are we speaking about kindness? You know, is, is grace simply kindness? Is it blessing? Is it condescension? Is it empowering? Like, what are we talking about? Yeah. Um, all right. So let's let's define grace. Um, we're talking about soteriological grace. We're talking about uh, redemptive grace, that which we need as a result of sin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, the, the popular definition of grace, the one that you hear most often, is that it's unmerited favor or right. unmerited uh, blessing. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, which, which is a good start, isn't it? I mean, it's not, it's not everything that you have to say, but it does sort of head us in the right direction. Yeah, totally. Uh, you know Klein's demerited favor thing. And yeah, I think yeah, well, yeah that's, that's where I'm hoping you can go with this. Yeah, totally. So you got that. But uh, before the fall, um, was there any unmerited favor? That's interesting. Um, yeah, it is interesting because on the one hand, you want to say that God didn't have to do anything for anyone. Yes. And in that sense, it is unmerited. There's, you know, Adam and Eve were not so special that God just had to make them and had to create a world for them and, and you know, the, the whole thing um, that you read about in Genesis <coughs> 1, the, you know, that, that kind of temple paradise. But... Um, but on the other hand, it's not as if they were in any sense in demerit. They hadn't fallen. They hadn't rebelled. They hadn't mm-hmm. sinned. You know, they weren't in debt, you know, if you use the, that sort of analogy. Yep. Uh, they, they hadn't gone into any debt. They didn't owe any fines or penalties. They um, were, you know, completely... Um, you know, operating at a kind of neutral stage. Right. So, um, so in that sense, like, like no to grace, but yes to, to, isn't God amazing? Isn't he generous? Yes. Isn't it incredible that out of his own sovereign goodness, maybe that's the best way to describe it. Goodness. God is, God is good to Adam and Eve in an, un, uh, uh, I guess you could say undeserved way. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So how do you like this? I've, I've come up with these distinctions and I don't know that anyone else is using these exact words. Uh, maybe I've read it somewhere before. I can't remember, but um, I, I think this is helpful. We're, we're, when we're talking, I know the confession speaks this way. I, I'm thinking now of the 1689 confession or the Westminster. Uh, there is a, the starting point, And this is why I like to start here when thinking about covenant theology is the starting point is that God uh, really condescends to man to enter into covenant with him. And that's important as almost a uh, epistemological or ontological category in that there's no way that man could ever have known God um, even without sin. And there's no, uh, there was nothing incumbent upon God to make himself known even without sin. Um, uh, But this, as we know, happens through covenant and that then does 
immediately lead us to see that there's an ontological condescension of God. And that is gracious. You know, it is a gracious thing for God to have done, you know, if yeah. we're thinking about it in those terms. I mean, much the same way that, you know, a king doesn't have to get off of his throne and shake the hand of a subject or something like that. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Um, there is a graciousness about that in that, you know, he condescends. Uh, to, to enter into this covenant arrangement so as to allow Adam to commune with him. And, um, and in this sense, there is very much an ontological uh, grace. If we could dif- differentiate between that kind of thing and uh, a soteriological grace, where we're talking about grace in light of demerit or grace in light of, of uh, the sin that we needed uh, uh, punished and dealt with and covered. Um, and so uh, maybe that's a helpful way to go about it. What do you yeah, think of those yeah, categories? I, I think that could work. I mean, to, as long as you're making a distinction between before and after the fall, where after the fall, what we deserve is the, is the opposite of what grace offers. You know, we deserve punishment. We right. deserve judgment. And then pre-fall, that was not true of Adam yeah. and Eve. You know, right. It but it was still it. true that God was God and man was man. And there was this infinite chasm between the creator and the creation. Yeah, and, uh, exactly. and I suppose that's what we want to uphold. And it's not, I think the reason I'm, I'm quite strong on this is as Kleinian uh, covenant theologians, we tend to, tend to emphasize that there was no grace before the fall. There was no grace yeah. before the fall. And the, and yeah, yeah. the counteraction to that is, or, or the, the, maybe the unwanted flip side of that is that we're not properly emphasizing the, the, the distinction of the creature and the creator. And uh, we must be sure to, to, for whatever bad those outside of this view would, would who would uh, you know want to say that there was grace before the fall and w- for whatever rejection we would uh, 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 answer with there, we don't want to reject the idea that God was being kind and good and loving in entering into this covenant with man. Definitely not. And also, you know, even when we talk about covenants of works and covenants of grace or, you know, uh, or whatever sort of terminology we use, it is right to speak about, even though we would say the, the covenant with Moses was a covenant of works, a republication of the Adamic covenant. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still graciously given. Yep. That's yeah. right. Yeah. It, it was, it was a tutor to show us our sin that we might be justified by by Christ. You know, uh, we didn't, yeah. I mean, just even the reality of that object lesson in Israel was a kind thing for God to do. Uh, yeah. And the fact that God is bothering to enter into any kind of covenant yeah. is a gracious thing, yeah. but doesn't make the covenant a covenant that operates on the principle of grace. Right. Totally. So that's essentially what we're emphasizing. And that's a great place. I think probably one of the most important places to start when talking about covenant theology, people often start with the definition of the covenant, you know, a covenant is an yeah. agreement between one or two persons or whatever. And, uh, you know, as helpful as that might, be and, and it almost feels a little bit redundant to say that kind of stuff sometimes uh, really i think this is a good starting point in that we're going okay so let's get our language straight uh there is this you know deism for example that thinks of of god as out there somewhere that we'll never meet along with atheism uh are, are sort of in the same bucket in that they uh ironically both are seeing the problem in that they you know how do we ever get to God? How can we ever know if there is a God? How could we ever commune with them? Uh, commune with God at least. Uh, and, and, uh, Christianity is coming along and saying no, uh, or theism, Christian theism is coming along and saying, uh, we can know because God has condescended 
to make us know and, and or allow us to know. And so this is, I love that point as well, because we're talking about communion with God at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, covenant is the starting point for thinking about how we know anything about God and uh, why we know anything about God. And, uh, and yeah. I think that needs to be clearly said. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, totally. Good. Well, that takes us to uh, 10 minutes and uh, maybe there are a lot of big words there. So let's leave it at that. Ontology, by the way, I just thought to mention is um, uh, a study of being. So God's in his ontological being is greater than ever uh, any creature could be. And you know, this is what makes him God. The study of epistemology is the study of, of how we know truth and how we know truth about God. Certainly theology um, uh, these these terms we've been throwing around, and, and you can see why they would be relevant in, in light of covenant theology. So perhaps just as as we work on getting some terms together for future conversations, those are ones worth keeping in mind. Anything else you want to add there before we cast off here, bro? No, no, that's good. Yeah, I think that's, awesome. uh, yeah, exactly. Thanks for joining me. Um, <laughs> and tune, <laughs> tune in, uh, or you don't have to tune in, just keep us on your podcast player thing. Uh, this isn't radio. This is a podcast. So just uh, looking forward to speaking with you next Thursday, Theology. But don't forget to join tomorrow for Philosophy Friday. Bye.